Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we ask for your help right now. We need you, Father, to open the eyes of our hearts that we might understand your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. We pray, God, that uh, our minds would be alert now. We pray that you would be speaking to us individually and corporately. And we pray, God, that what we hear today would change our lives, that we would not just be hearers but doers of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Isn't that just a good word, a timely word for you guys at Town Church Bista? Just now, I was just thinking, devote yourselves, those first words, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. If now, at the start, you just put a peg in the ground and just said, one of the things that we are going to be at Town Church Bista is devoted to prayer. There's one of our markers, and it doesn't move. Let's walk in wisdom towards those outside of us having our words saturated in grace so that we'd know how to speak and answer each person appropriately. Perhaps that's a, a word for Town Church Bista and surely a word for us too. Now, as we pick up these words, maybe some of you noticed, we just went straight into an instruction. Devote yourselves to prayer. And the first thing I want to point out is where this little portion of Scripture comes in the letter as a whole. Let's just remind ourselves, we've been a couple of weeks out, just remind ourselves where these words come. And if you're new to church here today, this is really important because the way that Christianity works is not follow instructions in order to get right with God, the order is follow instructions because we are right with God. It's not follow instructions so that we can become new people. It's follow instructions because God has made us new people. And that's what we come off the back of here in this part of Colossians. We've come off the back of Paul spending a large amount of time talking about, reminding the Colossians how they were dead in their sins, but God has made them alive. They were hostile to God, but God has, through the death of Jesus, made them reconciled. They have peace with God. He's spent a whole bunch of time talking about how they have died and they've been raised with Christ and they are brand new people no longer living in the kingdom of darkness, but living in the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus. They used to have a different master, now they have the Lord Jesus as their master. It's not the case that some people don't have a master. Everybody has a master and everybody is following instructions. The question is, do you have a good master and do you have the right master? It's either you, the devil, 
or Jesus. I can't think of any other options. And so this is not a radical thing to follow instructions and order our lives according to something. The key question is, are we ordering our lives according to what is good and right and true or according to what is bad and wrong and false? And so Paul then, after explaining this wonder of being transformed and now part of the new kingdom, is giving instructions for the Colossians as to how to live and how as a community they should shape themselves. And so we too are listening in now to find out what instructions are we being given as to how we can and should live. And he's coming to the end of his instructions And the first one he has is devote yourselves to prayer. Now, just really quickly, look in your Bible, because I'm just going to pull it apart a little bit so that we can see the structure of what's here, and then we'll talk a bit about it. So, in the little section which probably blocked off in your Bible, uh, where it says further instructions, you've got verse 2 down to verse 6, that little portion there. There are two instructions. The first one is devote yourselves to prayer and then down to verse 4 is some information explaining what that kind of uh, prayer is to be like. And then the next uh, instruction you have is be wise in verse 5 in the way you act towards outsiders and then some instruction that comes off the back of that as to what being wise in the way that you live looks like. So two things this morning. Devote yourselves to prayer and be wise in the way that you live toward outsiders. First one, devote yourselves to prayer. Let's just think about that word for a minute. Devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's saying here, be consistently and persistently near to prayer. If we were to look at the bank account of our time, would it evidence that we are devoted to prayer? Notice what it doesn't say. Verse 2, elders... Devote yourselves to prayer. Doesn't say that. Hardcore Christians, devote yourselves to prayer. People who don't have much else on, (laughs) devote yourselves to prayer. The reason I point that out is just because how easily we think to ourselves, oh yeah, that's a good idea, surely somebody's doing that. This is ordinary, every single Christian, devote yourselves to prayer. Is there quantity of time given to prayer? Is there consistency in your praying? Or is it fits and starts? Were you consistent in 2016? Is there persistency in prayer? Are we continuing in prayer? 
is their readiness to pray. Now, my point here is not to load us up with a burden. My point here is just to take a moment to think about what Paul is saying and what it would actually look like to follow that instruction. What a radical idea that this morning we might listen to God speak in his word and then do as it says. That we might say, right, I need to think about my time, adjust some of the things that I do, and bend my life into a Bible-shaped structure. Perhaps there are other things that I'm devoted to that Scripture says doesn't tell me to be devoted to. And so there's going to be a trade-off. Some of you are thinking, I don't have... (laughs) This is definitely not me. Uh, Perhaps it's TV, perhaps it's internet, phone. Friends are good, but maybe there's there's a shift there where it's all friends. Maybe there's just a lot of other good things that you're doing, but prayer is not one of them. And lastly, just a point here, this is key. These words are not a burden if we perceive them rightly. They're actually a blessing, aren't they? The fact that we read them as a burden is a problem with our hearts. Devote yourselves to prayer should be like, yeah, yes, somebody else affirms what I've been dying to do. We've been given access to God. We get to talk to God as our Father. It's a great privilege to pray. And so perhaps what we need to do to start with is just a little time of repentance. Pray that our hearts would be reordered so that we would have the right priorities in our lives. Secondly, just look, uh, sorry, not, not, not uh, on, on uh, devote yourselves to prayer still, let's just look at a couple of things that Paul says about that prayer. He says, being watchful and thankful. What he means by being watchful is he means being awake. This is a word that comes up in, in, in situations where the, uh, the end times are in view. And so there's a readiness because of the end times, and it comes up in other contexts where there's Aware, uh, an, an awareness of danger. There's a, an awakeness that's needed, an alertness that's needed because the end is coming and because there are dangers on every side. And that's what we've got in Colossians as well. We are waiting for the hope of glory. Devote yourselves to prayer, being awake in it, not asleep in it, aware of the times that we live in. Jesus is coming back, as we've been thinking about this morning. There are dangers on every side. People drift away. People turn from Christ. Let's pray for ourselves that we might not be people like that. As we become spiritually alert, we realize how desperately we need to be devoted to prayer. I have a friend in the States, just turned out I Skyped him, And somebody close that was in his church uh, just woke up one day and he's decided he's not following Christ anymore. It had just been bubbling away under the surface for a while. He didn't even know about it. But finally he says, I just 
I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't believe. Even in this uh, letter right here, if you look down at verse 14, our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas sends greetings. We find out later that Demas deserts Paul. He's in love with the present world. Paul's very message here to the Colossians, don't let anyone disqualify you, don't turn away from Christ, happens to Demas. We need to be awake in prayer and be thankful. And I've just thought, isn't that interesting that Paul talks about thankfulness here? And Colossians is riddled with thankfulness. There are two things about thankfulness there. Firstly, what a beautiful religion. What should I do? Now, you've told me this news. Be thankful. Really? Yeah, be thankful. Be thankful that God saved you. Be thankful that God has promised you an inheritance, eternal life in a new creation, completely free from sin and completely free from shame and guilt and tears, that God is going to do that. You're not going to have to make that world. God will make that world and God will stick you in it forever to be with him. Perfect relationship. Did I say forever? Be thankful. Be thankful that you were darkness, but now you're light. Be thankful that your sins have been forgiven. So this is all under the banner of devote yourselves to prayer. And then, and then the last thing he wants to say is he says, pray also for us. I know I am very slow to ask for prayer. It's a problem with my heart there. I see myself as being sufficient. But isn't it interesting that the great apostle Paul asks for prayer? And he prays, he says, pray that God would open a door. It's God who opens up the door. I think what he's talking about there is a door of opportunity. That God would make the opportunities for him to speak. And so there's no conflict here between what God is doing and Paul's role in it. He sees both of those things at work. Pray, God's opening the door, I'm speaking the word. So he says, pray for a door for the word and that he might make it visible as he ought to speak. He might make it clear, make it seen. There's just a note there on, as we look in and see Paul's priority, as we think about ourselves in our speaking with others, it's good for us to, see, to think about how did Paul think about how this worked? The way Paul thought about it and how evangelism or, or telling people about Jesus, the, 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 the gospel worked, is that a door gets opened, he lays out the word, he makes it clear, and the word does the work. I'm, t I'm, I'm the kind of person who, if I get a, a, a... If you're not a believer here, by the way, this morning, and you're thinking, I don't know what you guys are talking about... Um, 
that's cool. This is kind of a little bit in-house chat. Um, I might be talking to somebody who's not a believer, and I get a little kind of like uh, sniff of, you know, because I want them to be a Christian. I get, I get a sense of, oh, yeah, this is something kind of Jesus-y um, or a little bit spiritual. And I'm like, yeah, they're probably, probably totally sweet. I don't have to say anything else. Um, wouldn't want to, you know, talk too much about it. And I might find out actually, you know, it's just kind of some spiritual stuff that's not actually rooted in the Jesus that exists. Um, and so I don't actually want to move towards clarity and visibility. I want to just say, uh, I'm sure that it'll be fine. Let's just keep moving forward. Um, and there's a fear there of making it too plain for the negative results that might occur. Paul's idea is, no, I want to make it plain. I want to make the mystery of Christ seen. And so perhaps there's some instruction there for us in terms of how we think about how we talk to people who are not Christians. So that's the first. Devote yourselves to prayer and pray also for us. Secondly, he says, uh, act wisely. So if you look down here in verse uh, 5 now, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Now, what does it mean to act wisely toward outsiders? I think there's a temptation for us to read that as never offend anybody and convince ourselves that we're just being wise. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying. You see, the two options are not never offend anybody or offend everybody all the time. They're not the two options. And I think that the the middle ground is sometimes it will be offensive and sometimes it will be embraced. And that's the nature of the gospel. So walking wisely, acting wisely toward outsiders doesn't just mean making sure that nobody's ever offended by me. Actually, the gospel is really offensive. So here's a question. When was the last time someone was offended, not by you, but by the gospel coming from your mouth? And the reason I say that is because I think of the two options... I think we could probably get nudged in the direction of let's get offended or be offensive a little bit more. Not you personally be offensive, but let the gospel be offensive. Free grace offends us. Oh, you're saying I've got nothing to to contribute to this. No, because as humans, we're completely sinful. We've got nothing to offer. Are you assessing me as being totally rubbish? Yes, just like me and everybody else. Are you saying that Christianity is the only way? Yes. And there's a problem with our hearts that we think that there should be more than one way. We're not surprised that there even is a way. 
we're so arrogant that we think there should be a bunch of ways. So let the gospel do the offending. And we haven't got into the, we haven't got into be wise. What does Paul actually say about being wise? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Look down at verse five now in the second half. He says, then make the most of every opportunity. And I think that's where that I think is what he's that's at least part of, or at least a key component of what he's what he means when he's saying act wisely toward outsiders. What he means is, have an attitude towards time that is right. The phrase is, buy up the time. In some of the other older translations, you'll have it, redeeming the time. The idea is that you're so aware of the time that you're in, that it changes the way that you live. So here's a couple of things about time that shape how we act toward outsiders. Our lives are fleeting. We're just a breath. Like a mist, just here, gone. Not only so, the people that we're talking to are also like a breath. Time is short. Moment, the, 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 the window doesn't go on forever. And secondly, moments are really precious. Those moments when those little doors open, they come and they go. Buy up the time. Be like people who see time, especially this time, as super precious. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe if you're not a believer in here this morning, your days won't just keep on going on endlessly. Time is incredibly precious. Personally, where I value time is way down here on what it actually is. Moments are precious. Jesus is coming back. Act wisely toward outsiders, buying up the time. That's the first thing about acting wisely. And the second thing is he wants to say something about our speech. Let your words... And here's... (laughs) I've spent a lot of time trying to think about some of the phrasing here in this verse, by the way, and you might read it in a couple of translations, and if you kind of think, right, what is going on there always in grace, always full of grace, with grace. What's he kind of getting at? Seasoned with salt. Here's a crack at it. Get all your words that you might speak. Get a big bowl of grace. Dump them in the grace. By that grace, I mean marinate them in the gospel, right? then take them back out and consider how they might be different to what they were before they went in. Consider the kind of content that might be changed. Consider the the nature of the way that you, you, you spoke those words, whether the urgency or the kindness or the, the gentleness. Um, you've now got your grace-marinated words. Sprinkle some salt on so that they're tasty 
and make people think, hmm, I could have some more of that, and then speak those words. That's a crack at perhaps what he's talking about. That is being wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And then, and then finally he says, <laughs> so that you might know how to answer everyone. It's just interesting that in Scripture we often have, uh, I think, we, you know, you do get the commands, make disciples of all nations, right? And so we are people who go out. Uh, but I do think it is worth noting that we don't, it's difficult to find an explicit command of, to, an, to all the congregation, you do get it to Titus and Timothy, to preach. But we do get answering. And perhaps that's instructive for us. You get it in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3, and you get it here. You might know how to answer everybody. And so there's a kind of, you know, maybe this is a, you know, there are different roles in the body and some of us have got different places, but all of us have got this ability to be around a whole bunch of different people and to have a readiness about us with, a, with our urgency of time hat on and our uh, grace-changed words to be ready to answer people and make the most of the opportunities that we might be able to answer our brothers and sisters, uh, 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 people um, in the world that don't know Christ. And maybe that's a way for us just to think, okay, that's something I could do. I could do that. Um, and then... Maybe that's something that I could do. Now, just as we uh, finish, we're just going to have a look at these greetings at the end. I'm just going to pick up two things very briefly out of these final greetings. <laughs> Firstly, there's a kind of what are they doing here in this book. I think that Paul's doing a couple of things. I think he's building his, his, his relationship with a church that he doesn't uh, personally know as well. So he's, he's making links with people that he knows and people that they know. I think he's also speaking about, notice what he says in verse 7, just look down there, about um, Tychicus, uh, that he's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And so he's commending him. He's kind of saying, you know, I'm validating this guy. He does the same with Epaphras, uh, as we'll see in just a minute. We'll look a bit close, more closely at that. So that's what I think, you know, these are some of the things that Paul's doing here. But a couple of points for us in terms of observation, and that is uh, that the sufficiency of Christ doesn't cancel out our need for one another. Look at verse 8 here. Chapter 4, verse 8. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. You've got Jesus, right? We've learned about how sufficient he is but Paul doesn't see any problem then with saying, I'm sending a person to encourage your hearts. 
So the sufficiency of Christ doesn't cancel out our need for one another. And we see the same thing in verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. You see this one anothering here. We belong to a body. We are members of one another. But just a little word on this needing one another and uh, uh, the sufficiency of Christ and, and one another. That some of us will be, there'll be a spectrum here. Some will be on the unhealthy dependence and some on the unhealthy independence end of the spectrum. Or at least err that way. I err on the unhealthy independence end of the spectrum. But I like this quote by Bonhoeffer. It runs something like this. He says, those of you who love community, beware of community. And those of you who love independence, beware of independence. What he means at that point is he's saying, they're both good things, but neither of those things is ultimate things. We need one another, but we also can't live vicariously through another. And so I personally needed the nudge back towards you need one another. We need brothers and sisters. And, so that, and, that's, what we, and that's what I think there's a point, we, can, we can see a point there in these verses. And secondly, and this is the final thing for this morning, is just the example of Epaphras. This is we've thought about prayer. Look at what it says about Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Notice the priority of his prayers, that you might stand firm. So as we think back to devoting ourselves to prayer, sometimes it's the content of the prayers that we can't, you know, we, we think, right, what am I going to pray about? Maybe this can shape our prayers, that pray for one another, pray for ourselves, that we might stand firm in all the will of God, fully assured, mature. Perhaps pray some of the other things in Colossians, that we might not drift away, that Christ might be sufficient, that we might walk in his ways. The secondly is just that need for maturity and ongoing establishment in the faith. It's the same point, and I mentioned it earlier with my friend who had, had a friend who just left. Just that sense of, Epaphras had that sense of, these people need to be rooted and established in Christ. Do we think about that for ourselves? Do we think about that for our brothers and sisters here? And lastly, is the labor of prayer. I found it really encouraging to read that. Always wrestling in prayer for you. It's the same, it's the same word that Paul was talking about earlier, how he was always striving on behalf of the Colossians. And it's just that, you know, you get a window like this and you say, oh yeah, there's that work of prayer. I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 2, 
I think it's verse 12 again, where you know, the, the, the passions of our flesh wage war against our soul and just that internal conflict. And so just because I don't feel like praying all the time doesn't mean that I shouldn't say, no, Dave, engage in prayer, wrestle in prayer, work hard in prayer. I just know for myself that that's one of the things where it kind of switches off because I think, oh, it's not flowing naturally, it's a bit of work. I think that's okay. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. Let's take the example of Epaphras and the example of Paul. Let's be aware of the time that we live in and let's have a passion for mission for the advancement of the word into all the world. I'll pray as we close. Father, thank you for the time that we've spent this morning in your word. We pray, Father, that you would, by the power of your spirit, help us to be a people who are devoted to prayer, who are aware of our own fleeting time, the time that we live in, that we would be people that make the most of the time. And we pray, God, that our speech would be always full of grace so that we might answer people and tell them about the Lord Jesus. Father, use us to build your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.